Hello, my lovely people, and welcome to The Fletcher Files, a Murder, She Wrote podcast with your host, Monty. This week, we will be talking about Death Takes a Dive, season three, episode 16, first aired February 22nd, 1987, and the IMDb summary reads, Jessica visits her old friend, Harry McGraw, in Boston, who has become wrangled in the high stakes game of boxing. Yes, so this is a Harry McGraw episode, and I believe this is his last appearance on Murder, She Wrote. However, this is the beginning of his series, that being Jerry Orbach, of The Law and Harry McGraw. If I can find that series streaming or even, yes, DVD, (laughs) then I will review those on Patreon. So there is that to look forward to. If I can find it, then I will do that. So let's get into the returners and then the characters and the story. Now, this was an hour and a half episode. So on streaming, it's 73 minutes. So this review is going to probably be a bit longer. Maybe not. We'll see how it goes. (laughs) Okay. So we have three returners. First, we had Bradford Dillman. We will recognize him as Detective Lieutenant Simeon Kershaw from Murder to a Jazz Beat. In this episode, he plays Dennis McConnell. We then have Ray Girardin, and we will recognize him as Lieutenant Casey. (laughs) And we saw him first as Lieutenant Casey on One Good Bid Deserves a Murder. In this episode, he also plays Lieutenant Casey. And then, of course, we have Jerry Orbach as Harry McGraw. And we will recognize him from, first, Tough Guys Don't Die. And then, of course, One Good Bid Deserves a Murder. So let's get into all of the characters and then the story. So, of course, we have Harry McGraw. We, of course, have Lieutenant Casey. We have Doc Penrose, Cosmo Ponzini, Dave Robinson, Dennis McConnell, Lois Ames, Sean Shalene, Pam Collins, Blaster Boyle, Wade Talmadge, and Sanchez. Now, this episode has some names, okay? (laughs) So let's get into it. So we open up in a gym. This is Ponzini's gym. And Blaster Boyle is practicing in the ring with Sanchez. And Harry is yelling and like encouraging him and giving him some direction of some sort as if Blaster isn't a professional boxer already. But okay. And so as Harry's doing this, we then see him coming around the side of the ring and Jessica is there. And Jessica looks stunned and confused and interested at the same time. Like there's a lot of emotions in the look that she's giving, 
which I appreciate because she's like, how did I get here? What does this have to do with... Because Harry called and told her that he was in trouble. So she came down there. So she's like, what does this have to do with the trouble you said you were in? You didn't specify what the trouble was, but just that you were in real trouble. So I dropped everything to come down here. Why am I in a boxing gym watching you yell at a boxer who's practicing? Like, I don't understand why we're here. We will understand shortly, though, because <laughs> we're as confused. So Harry starts to explain not why they're there, but just about Blaster and that um, three weeks... From now, Blaster has a shot at Sean Shalene, the Irish shillelagh. Okay, side note, I looked up what a shillelagh is, and it's basically, basically a walking stick. However, it has come to represent uh, a champion and victory and, and battle, things like that. Um, so the Boston Celtics mascot is a leprechaun with a shillelagh. So the stick that the leprechaun has is a shillelagh. So this is a term of endearment, uh, apparently. So that's what we we're going with. This is according to Wikipedia. This is not according to me. Okay. <laughs> and... Now back to the story. So they're in the ring and Sanchez is starting to talk a lot of crap, right? Just suddenly, like we didn't hear anything before. They were just punching each other. But now Sanchez has all this mouth, like, oh, you're washed up. You're a tub of turkey fat. I'm like, what year is this? Granted it's 1987, but like a tub of turkey fat? Like, is that... Anyway, whatever. That was his shade to Blaster. But Blaster's just going along, going along, going along. And it seems like Sanchez is getting the upper hand. And then Blaster's just done, right? He's just at his limit. And he starts fighting back. And he's serious about this. He's not practicing anymore. And... Ponzini walks out and he sees this. Now, everybody's starting to realize that Blaster is not practicing or playing games or anything like that. Like, he is seriously punching this man. And at this point, Ponzini runs over as fast as he can. It is Ernest Borgnine. So, like, mm, he's a man of a certain age already at this in this episode. He goes over, he gets in the ring, he breaks them up. He is trying to help Sanchez. He's like, oh my God, like, why would you do that to Blaster? And I'm like, sir, you weren't even there to see how this started. And the fact is Blaster has been at this gym. He's known in the industry, in the boxing industry. He's been, you know, a member of it for years and a fighter. You know what type of person he is. You know, he's not out here starting crap and beating up people just randomly and out of order. But you automatically see, don't assume that Sanchez had a slick mouth. You assume that this kind and gentle, granted he's a boxer, but kind and gentle person 
who seems to regularly let things roll off his back is suddenly just this monster. You can miss me with that, but okay. And the thing that got me is that Ponzini tells Harry to get your animal out of here. Now, 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 I'm disgusted by that. I realize that that may not have been written in such a way to be mm, racist, but there's a lot of talk about your boy and things like that with relation to Blaster. However, they also kind of say that about Sean Shaleen and, you know, your boy, your boy. But it has a different intonation when you're talking about a grown black man. But okay, I'm going to put that aside. I've said it. Know that. And we're putting it to the side. It's still there, but we're putting it to the side for now. So at this point... There, Harry is trying to calm Blaster down because he is pissed, not only because Sanchez was talking real slick, but that Ponzini was blaming him and would not listen to him and be able to defend himself that it was not unprovoked. It was completely provoked. So he's upset and he's frustrated and... So Harry's trying to calm him down. He's like, listen, listen, listen. All right, let's get, let's get you to the showers. After that, we're going to go ahead and we're going to get you something to eat. And he immediately, Blaster immediately was like, okay. <laughs> like, sir, were you not upset by what Sanchez said, but you were hangry, like straight up hungry and angry. And that's why you reacted as such, which is understandable, especially now when you're like, Oh, there's food involved? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Let me go ahead and get the shower real quick. But as he is walking out of the ring, he sees Jessica. And he's like, I'm sorry, Mrs. Fletcher. I just, I lost my temper. And like, that's what I mean. Like, it seems very genuine that he is a kind and respectful person. So why would you just jump to the conclusion that... Ponzini, that Blaster is the one who came out of pocket on Sanchez and turned it from practice to a real fight as opposed to Sanchez having a slick mouth. And I'm sure you know this because he's probably like that with everybody. So again, you can miss me with that anyway. So the next scene, we're at the restaurant with Jessica, Harry, and Blaster. And Blaster is eating for a family of 15, okay? And not even mad about it. Like, he was training. He's a big guy. Whatever. I'm not the one paying for it, so I do not care. Enjoy it, okay? (laughs) He's minding his own business. He is happy now that he has all his plates of food. And he's putting in work, right? So Jessica's like, listen... Why am I here? Okay, you said you called me up in Cabot Cove and you said you're in trouble, in terrible trouble. I hopped on a bus and I came all the way down to Boston, Massachusetts. She lives in Maine, Massachusetts now. And 
he's like, I am in trouble. She's like, why, why was I at a gym? Why are we talking about a fight? I don't understand. Please explain. And he's like, yeah, so let me explain. She's like, no, whatever it is, the answer is no. Like, N-O, that's it. No, I don't trust anything you got to offer from me. You got me down here under false pretenses. And I don't appreciate it. So Harry then begins to tell her what happened. He says this person by the name of Benny Falcone believes that Harry owes him $5,000. And he needs, this is Harry, needs the fight between Blaster or get a fight off the ground. Like he needs Blaster to fight someone so they can get a purse and... um or a payout. I don't know what they call it in boxing. I think it is a purse in boxing. And so that he can pay off Benny, although he does not believe he owes him $5,000. But Benny won't listen to reason. And he needs to get out of trouble. So this is the only way he can do it. So Jessica's like, well, why does Benny think that you owe him $5,000? So Harry explains. He says that a few weeks ago, he got a job from Benny to find his daughter who ran off with a saxophone player. He gave Harry $5,000 up front for the job. A week later, the daughter returns with the saxophone player and both of them move in with Benny. Now Benny wants his $5,000 back, but Harry does not have it. He spent it on whatever he spent it on. So Jessica's like, he can't do that. And Harry's like, no, I understand he can't do that, but he is not listening to reason. And he is uh, a man in a certain profession. So I got to pay this money. So Jessica's like, okay. He's like, well, I'm not done. So he, Harry, was owed some money by Pinky Schultz. Okay, so he went to see about Pinky, right? Pinky was dead, okay? Pinky was in the casket, dead, by the time Harry got around to finding him. And he said this lawyer, he didn't catch his name, just randomly came up to him and handed him a contract. And apparently in order to repay the debt, I guess Pinky knew he was dying. I don't know. They didn't explain how he would have had this contract ready, but had not contacted Harry at this point, whatever. But he, Pinky, was the manager of Blaster. In his death, he gave a bequest to Harry of the contract for management of Blaster. Now, I I don't know if this is actually how it works in real life because I do not deal with sporting contracts. But again, I'm trying not to be offended <laughs> by the fact that he signed his manager without discussing this with him. Signed the rights of his management contract over to somebody else, right? Not even giving, we have no idea whether Blaster was a part of this conversation, 
whether he made this decision or whatever. It does not seem like Blaster was a part of this decision. It doesn't. So that's concerning to me just as a a human being that your contract uh, for management, okay, not ownership, okay, not not ownership, right? But management can just be signed over to somebody else with all the rights and privileges they're in without you being able to say, you know what, you're dead. We don't have a contract anymore. Thank you. You cannot, in your will, contract sign this contract over to someone. Again, I do not know because that's not the area of law I work in. So maybe it's possible. It seems not right to me at all. But it's also 1987, so it could have been a thing then if it's not a thing now. So... Harry is like, I don't know anything about boxing, but I figured like maybe I could sell the contract for some money. So now, without even having a conversation with Blaster about who he would perhaps like to be his manager, Harry goes from gym to gym showing Blaster off. Like, I don't think he was actually fighting, but people within the community knew who Blaster was and that at one time he was a great fighter. So Harry is going from gym to gym trying to sell this contract for the management. Okay, we're going with management because this sounds a lot like ownership, but okay, management of Blaster. So at this point, he gets to Ponzini's gym and he sees Sean Shalene practicing. And so he knows that he is promoted by Wade Talmadge. And so Wade is probably somewhere around there. I'll call him Talmadge because that's what everybody calls him. So Talmadge is somewhere around there. Now we see Dennis, who is Shalene's manager, right? He is at the ropes of the boxing ring. And Harry doesn't even try to speak with this manager, Right, he wants to speak with Wade Talmadge. Okay, and so we also see that Ponzini, the owner of the gym, is arguing with Dave Robinson, who is a reporter for a Boston newspaper, and he is there with his photographer Pam. And Dave is trying to get information with regard to Talmadge. He wants to write a story. Ponzini's like, are you crazy? Do you have a death wish? I'm not saying anything about that man. And Dave's trying to get this information. And so finally, Ponzini is like, um, he, he asked that they be removed, right? Because he's all like, there's no women here. There's no women allowed. And Pam is like... She's the photographer for Dave. Pam is like, excuse me, have you heard of the Supreme Court? Now, she is the sassy that I love, okay? She is not, you know, a wallflower. She's not like, oh, okay, if you say so. She's like, no, we have a job to do, and we're going to do that job, sir, okay? So as they're being, like, given the bums rush, 
Pam is like, hey, hey, you know, you're creep. Like, leave me alone or whatever. And she was like, unless you want a face full of nails. When I tell you, I laughed out loud legitimately. Like, I was taken off guard by that because I've watched this episode before, like several times before. Again, not realizing that it was an hour and a half episode (laughs) at all until today. But... That that's what I'm talking about. Like just really I am about to defend myself and I don't care how big you are. You're not going to give me the bums rush. You're going to be respectful because what? I'm a lady. That's why. And I'm about to be a, not a lady when I scratch your face up. So <laughs> she is feisty and I absolutely love it. I love her. And just quickly, let's talk about the fact that LeVar Burton has this very 1987 hair situation going on. It's not even like a high top fade. I don't know what you will call it, but it's just extremely interesting to me. And I wonder if he looks back on things like this (laughs) And what does he think? Like, what does he think when he sees these things? Um, I, I can't say I love the hairstyle. It, it, I'm speechless. I'm actually speechless. <laughs> but I wanted to bring it to your attention that it is wild. Okay, wild. Anyway, so Talmadge arrives at the gym. So let's get back to. <laughs> Pam's hair is amazing as well. So I did not mention it before, but I'll mention it now. Love it as much as I love her. So Harry immediately goes over to Talmadge as he approaches the ring. And I'll just say this. Harry is talking very loudly. Okay, like I understand it's a boxing gym and and things like that. But I feel like he was talking extremely loudly for what was going on now (laughs) and I think that that it played into it right because he's not familiar with the boxing world he doesn't know how to negotiate or navigate right he doesn't know how to navigate to get to a negotiation right so it really him speaking that loudly just really kind when it wasn't necessary like he was standing right next to Talmadge. Like it was not necessary. There wasn't a bunch of yelling and grunting and screaming in the back. But it goes to his his lack of knowledge of how to do business. I'll put it that way. So Talmadge is automatically putting his walls up. He's like, who is this person and why is he speaking so loudly? That is the look on his face. Harry is actually at this point in this situation, not trying to sell Blaster's contract. He wants to get a fight between Blaster and Sean Shalene, also known as the Irish Shillelagh, right? And so Talmadge is like, listen, I'm not the manager. It's like, yeah, no, no, no. I understand. I understand. But you're the promoter. And you know, my guy Blaster, I'm sure you've heard of him. And Talmadge is like, yeah, I've heard of him. I thought he died, which is like the worst thing to say about somebody. Like, 
Oh, I thought they died. What? Like, the, meaning that someone who was a one-time champion, like, um, a great, and you've been under the radar for so long, or off the radar altogether, that people thought you died. So that that's terrible. That's the worst thing you could say. But Harry plays it off. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, honestly, like, um, your guy should fight my guy. Like, he's in top shape. Like, you're just scared that he's going to win, right? Or whatever. So Talmadge is like, I'm done with you and your loud talking nonsense. So he has them kicked out. So Harry says, well, he went to every other gym in the area and he couldn't sell Blaster's contract. So the next day, Harry is at his apartment with Doc, who's a trainer, not an actual doctor, and Blaster. When Talmadge comes, now I'm like, how did he know Harry's address? Like, what? But okay, that's what we're going with. He knows his address. He comes over with Lois, his woman of the week, month, year. I don't know. I think she's been around for a while. So he comes with her and she's kind of giving Harry the eye and Harry's definitely giving her the eye. But Talmadge is like, listen, I am willing to allow Blaster to fight the shillelagh in three weeks. So this is the televised fight that the shillelagh was supposed to have with Jocko Sands I don't remember the last name and so Harry was like well what happened with Jocko though and Lois is like yeah so Jocko's wife caught him playing hopscotch on someone else's sidewalk and broke his jaw with a coffee pot now I have never heard cheating uh described as that like that that is definitely a first for me um wow okay interesting way to put it that's where we're at and his wife was having no parts of it and busted him upside the face with a coffee pot causing it to break so he can't fight in three weeks with a broken jaw that what hey you should have kept everything at home Should have drew on your own driveway and either played alone or with your wife. That, that Those were your options. You did not choose either of those. Now you have a broken jaw and that's where we're at. So <laughs> now Blaster has a fight and Harry has an opportunity to make money. So he looks at the contract and he's like, <laughs> looking at this, like slavery was stopped 100 years ago. I'm like, uh, so we, we're just going to make that comment after. Okay. No. Mm-hmm, yeah. So anyway, <laughs> moving on, Talmadge leaves, but before he does, he turns around and he tells Harry, he basically is like, my woman is off limits. Okay. So don't even try it. And Harry's like, okay. As soon as Talmadge leaves, like Harry has this like glazed over, like starry eyed look in his eyes. 
And Blaster's like, oh, this would be great for my career, like to be on TV. Oh, we should definitely take this. And Doc is like, listen, Talmadge is serious. He does not appreciate anyone messing around with any of his women, especially that woman. So those threats are real. You better be careful. So now we're back to present day with Jessica Blaster and Harry at the restaurant. And Jessica's like, yeah, okay, what does that have to do with me? And so Harry's like, long story short, I need a couple of thousand dollars to pay for a proper trainer. And, you know, we can be partners, split it 50-50. Jessica's like, yeah, okay, whatever. Here is a check for $5,000. You can do whatever you want to do with it. It is a loan. The less I know about what you're up to, the better I like this. Thank you. So Harry then goes off to make some phone calls to get everything started. And Jessica, well, Blaster is like, um, you're never going to see that $5,000 again. So thank you. To which Jessica says, you know what? I have great faith in you and Harry. And I think you have a real chance of making a comeback. And Blaster is like, I can't win that fight. No one would fight me after that if I win it. You know, I used to be good back in the day, but now the only reason people hire me is so that I'll lose and the person who wins looks great because they won against somebody who was once great, right? So he's like, I can't afford to win because if I win, no one else is going to hire me. So Jessica's like, you can't spend the rest of your life being somebody's punching bag, right? So Blaster's like, oh yeah, no, I am almost finished paying for a dairy farm. It's going to be free, mine free and clear after a few more payments. I just need to do two or three more fights and that's it. I'm going to retire to this dairy farm and I'm not going to fight anymore. So I just need to make it through. So I can't win this shillelagh fight because I still need one or two more fights to pay off the dairy farm. So Jessica is like, I understand. She doesn't say this, but the look on her face signals that she understands and that that makes sense to her. Um, his plan because he's not planning to box for the rest of his life and he has an exit strategy. So she's like, you know what? I I can't be mad at that. I understand. I'm not familiar with how the boxing world works, but if this is what you're telling me, I'm going to believe it. And, you know, I'm going to support that decision. So now Jessica goes back to Cabot Cove and She's out for a run, of course. And as she's coming in, the phone is ringing. And it's Dave Robinson. And he's asking her how'd she get involved with an over-the-hill pug named Blaster Boyle and a hustler named Harry McGraw. And Jessica's like, yeah, no, I'm not involved with any of this. I don't know what you're talking about. And Dave says, well, at five, as of 5 p.m. yesterday, you were listed as Blaster's manager of record. 
And do you have a comment? And Jessica was like, what I do, I'll get back to you. (laughs) This was unexpected. So she immediately calls Harry at his apartment and Lieutenant Casey answers the phone. And we find out that Harry has been placed under arrest for first degree murder. So of course, Jessica is on the first thing smoking to Boston. So the next scene, we are at the precinct and we find out from Lieutenant Casey that Wade Talmadge had been murdered. He is the victim in this case. And that Talmadge had more enemies than there are beans in Boston. Now that is saying something, okay? (laughs) So Jessica admits that she has no idea how she ended up being named Blaster's manager. And Lieutenant Casey was like, yeah, because Harry needed someone to front him because the boxing commission would never give him the okay He spent too many years hanging around undesirables, okay? So the next scene, Jessica is speaking with Harry in one of the interview rooms or, yeah, interview rooms at the precinct because Harry's in custody. So Harry says, well, yeah, I sort of signed your name to the contract. Yeah, okay. Anyway... (laughs) So Jessica's like, tell me what happened. So Harry says he was at Ponzini's gym and Talmadge was there. Ponzini was there and Shalene, the Shillelagh, was there already in the office and they were having an argument. Now we then go inside the office and hear the actual argument. Now the Shillelagh, right? He says he's ready to prove himself. He doesn't need any help to win. He doesn't want to... You know, he he does not want all of his fights fixed because what that's going to mean is if he's winning all of these fixed fights, that at some point there is going to be a very big fight at the end and he's going to be asked to throw that fight or take a dive. Death takes a dive. Take a dive, meaning lose on purpose. And he sees that in his future. And he says, I don't want to end up like Ponzini because that's what happened to him. He was told to take a dive by Talmadge in his final fight. Now we find out later that the financial benefit for him was such that he was able to purchase that gym. So, you know, your reputation is destroyed as a champion, but you have this gym that will create years and years and years of revenue. So mm, there's that. Anyway, uh, as with a dairy farm, if you know what you're doing, so mm, there's also that option. Now, Ponzini is like, hey, watch your tongue. Like, don't don't be talking about me. I am not in this argument. Y'all just happen to be arguing in my office, at my gym. I didn't do anything to you. Don't keep my name out your mouth, is basically what he was saying. <laughs> okay. So Talmadge is like, listen, listen, listen. Okay, I'm just trying to ensure that you don't end up with a a lucky punch. Basically saying, well, we have to fix it because what if the other fighter is really good and ends up punching you and messing you up for life? 
right? Because that also means that we don't think that any of your, that at your skill level, that you would be a threat to anybody else's health. So you can give it all your heart to win. They're just going to pretend to fight so that they lose. Because if they really tried, one of them may actually be good enough to actually beat you. So Shalene, the shillelagh, is like, Dennis said, Dennis is his manager, remember this, that every single fight of the 16 that I fought, all of them were fixed. And Talmadge is like, Dennis talks too much. Meaning it's true. Like that means that it's true, but he shouldn't have told you that. And we find out from Talmadge that he picked up Shalene, the shillelagh, off of a farm in Minnesota because he thought he had talent. And he's like, listen, you're either going to stick with me or you're going to go back to duck hunting. And so at this point, we go back outside and Harry is waiting his turn and Lois makes advances towards him. But Harry's having none of it. He's like, listen, I whatever you're selling, I'm not buying. Keep it moving, okay? I'm not going to be tricked and tempted into messing my situation up. He then busts into Ponzini's office. He's tired of waiting. And he is telling them, like, Blaster's going to give a real fight. He's not going to purposefully lose. Shalene, the shillelagh, says, that's fine with me. Talmadge is like, yeah, but it's not fine with me. Okay, that's not what we agreed to. And so Talmadge is like, listen, there's a bonus for you if Blaster puts up a good fight but lays down in the third round. At this point, Harry grabs Talmadge's lapel, jacket lapels, and is telling him like, no, that's not how it's going to work. My guy is going to do his best, whatever. So at this point, Ponzini and his 150-year-old behind gets on up, like steps in between, and then throws one of the slowest right hooks that I have ever seen. Like in ever and ever, okay? Now, it was so dramatically long because the Ernest Borgnine is not 150 years old, but he, again, he's a man of a certain age. So he can only move but so quick at the time. That punch took so long between the setup and the actual connect that Harry could have slipped out of his jacket, went outside, started his car and drove down the street and drove back, got back in his jacket and took the punch. That is how long it took, okay? It really took like... Three and a half hours for him. (laughs) But no, it was a good like 45 seconds, which was enough time for somebody who has all of their faculties to have been able to avoid that punch. I understand that it was necessary for how every, the plot, right? But like, honestly, it was super slow. And I'm like, dude, You are 150 years old, okay? Harry is like a quarter of your age. And you have the shillelagh who is a 16 and 0 boxer. Why didn't he step in? If he's not going to step in, your old behind need to sit right back down behind that desk and pretend like you didn't see anything, just like you were doing when Talmadge and the shillelagh were arguing. So mind 
your business. But he didn't. And they put the, they expect you to believe that Ponzini for real got the jump on Harry and punched him in his face and actually knocked him to the ground. I'm like, okay, whatever. So at this point, Harry begins to pull out his gun. He does. Um, Talmadge is standing to the side. Ponzini like it's kind of helping him up and I'm like that's not gonna happen either but whatever okay so he's trying to help him up and wrestle the gun out of his hands he is not successful in that and they end up firing off a shot as they struggle at this point Ponzini gets the gun I believe and Talmadge takes it from him he empties out the bullets and he gives the gun back to Harry after some additional threat. So the next scene, we are in Harry's apartment and Lois appears at the door. So we find out from her that Talmadge is in his home in Marblehead and she was not invited. So she's making her own plans for that night. And so one thing leads to another thing leads to them having sex. So there, there's that. <laughs> I guess he was like, well, you know, before wasn't good. I, it wasn't a good idea then. But hey, if she's cool, I'm cool. She ain't going to say nothing. I ain't going to say nothing. All right. You know, I ain't got work in the morning. I don't know. But whatever. <laughs> so they work that out. So Jessica's like, yeah, you don't have to tell the details. Now, I completely forgot that he's telling this story to Jessica. <laughs> She's like, uh, yeah, let, let's get that. Let's get that. And so Harry says, well, the next day he got up, he met with Doc. And Doc told him that Blaster had a real chance to win. He just, being Harry, had to convince Blaster to try to win, Right. Harry then drove around for hours looking for Blaster so that he could try to talk him into it. He finally found him and all Blaster wanted to talk about was this dairy farm and how he could not win the fight because he would then never achieve his dream of opening the dairy farm or paying it off. But I'm like, you can, I don't know. Maybe he didn't have credit to get a mortgage for this, the last portion of it. I don't, I don't know. Um, but at least it sounds like this wasn't a scam and someone didn't steal all his money. Cause that's what I was concerned about. Just hearing this off top that you're sending money to this person. I'm like, do y'all have a contract? I I'm just concerned because you're planning to retire and I need this to not fall through, but we're assuming the best. We're assuming the best. So after he finds Blaster, he and Blaster's going on and on about this dairy farm. Harry's finally able to convince Blaster to try to win, you know, to do his best and to try to win after Harry told him, you know, all the crap that the shillelagh was telling him. Well, saying about Blaster, him being washed up and all of that. So at this point... Harry returns home with Blaster and he finds the police there, at which time they confiscated his gun. They said that Talmadge was shot dead in his car under a bridge with a 38 caliber weapon. 
And Jessica was like, uh, why was Talmadge under a bridge? Okay. And Harry says, well, Casey claimed, Lieutenant Casey, that is, claims that Harry called Talmadge and set up the meeting under the bridge. And once Talmadge got there, that Harry shot him in the chest. And Jessica's like, okay, that doesn't make any sense, but fine. Get yourself a lawyer and I'll look into this. And Harry's like, I don't need a lawyer with you on the case. Lawyers are expensive. You'll figure it out. I'm good. And I'm like, I appreciate that you have faith in Jessica, but you know what? He's going to get a public defender anyway. And yes, they are real lawyers. And yes, that person would be equipped to try a homicide case. Now, I don't like his response. <laughs> Later on, we find out what the public defender said. But yeah, it, it he'll be fine. He's like, you'll get me out of this. I don't need to hire an attorney. No, you'll get a free attorney who is presumably well able to defend you. So the next scene, we're at the the lieutenant section of the precinct and Jessica is like yeah so do y'all have any proof of a phone call that Harry made or that Talmadge received additionally there's no powder burns on his shirt lieutenant Casey was like oh he could have been shot at a distance and she's like in a car like in a car he was shot at a distance okay no and I'm assuming the windows were rolled up because it's like, but he was shot in the chest. So it wasn't like at an angle or anything where it could have been through the side window. So yeah, like Casey is really grasping at straws, but he is so convinced that it was Harry because it was a thirty-eight caliber that killed Talmadge. Harry carries a thirty-eight. He didn't have an alibi and he had been threatened by Talmadge. And so we find out that Lieutenant Casey has more of a reason to believe it's Harry because they were able to get the ballistics back quickly. And the bullet that was removed from Talmadge matches the bullet, a bullet fired from Harry's gun. So they tested it by firing a shot out of Harry's gun. Uh, probably into a large tank of water as not to destroy any of the lands and grooves, any of the identifying marks, that is. And so they compared that to whatever was taken out of Talmadge's body. They have close-up photographs of both of them, which we see on the screen, and they are identical. So now Jessica is confused about now, what are we going to do? Okay, the ballistics match to his gun. He's saying that he never let the gun out of his sight. How is this possible if Harry did not murder Talmadge? But she never believed from jump. Like she does not ever start to believe that, um, which is good. So the next scene, Jessica is leaving the precinct and there's a taxi right out front. She goes to get in. We see that the taxi driver is Pam, who we met earlier as the photographer for Dave. She drives around a bit, goes down a corner, because Jessica is trying to get to Ponzini's gym. And she picks up Dave. And so there's a conversation, and Jessica is like, who are you? What's happening? Please tell me. 
And Dave is like, yeah, we spoke on the phone. He's like, oh, you're doing the story about Talmadge. Um, and he says, like, Talmadge is a real sack of garbage. Ah, a trash person. Got it. And that he, being Talmadge, is fattening up Shaleen's record so that he can have him thrown to the wolves like he did Ponzini. Meaning exactly what the shillelagh was concerned about, you know, eventually having to throw a big fight is exactly what was going to happen, right? He saw it coming. He was trying to prevent it from coming, but everybody within the sports world could see what was happening. And it's probably Talmadge's like MO to do this. Like everybody who goes to him or through him as a promoter has to do this. Like he'll build up your record. He'll fix fights, fix fights, fix fights. And then whoever the next person is that needs to be made a star He'll make you throw that fight or take a dive so that that next person can win the championship and then he can do the same thing to their career, which is terrible. I'm like, but okay. Now, the Shillelagh was from Minnesota, so he did not know about Talmadge and his reputation and how he basically built up careers so that he could destroy them at the end and leave you basically a has-been and washed up and over the hill or whatever. Um, and all your titles meaning nothing at that point because you, you ended up losing the big one. So he wouldn't have known. So I can't blame him for... Um, getting together with Talmadge because Talmadge hunted him, like found him and brought him into this world. So I can't blame him for that. And he saw it earlier than a lot of other fighters. Some never did until they were surprisingly told at the last fight, hey, you know, um, you have to take a dive. Like there's no other options. Either take a dive or we'll murder you. And so, yeah. He he didn't know, but at least he caught on. But he was still stuck. Like, I'm sure he was still under contract. But Dave also denies that his focus on Talmadge is personal. But Jessica read the situation. The audience has read the situation. He can say whatever he wants to say. But in the actual factual of it all, it is personal. And we'll find out more details later on. So the next scene, we're at the gym. It's Jessica, Dennis, and the shillelagh. And Dennis is like, listen, just because Talmadge is dead doesn't mean that anything is changing, meaning that Blaster must lose. And Jessica's like, yeah, no, that's not going to happen. Blaster's not going to throw this fight. At which point, Dennis threatens Jessica. So the next scene, yeah, there was more to that, but it, those were the main points, right? So the next scene, we're at the restaurant at Gil Hooley's, right? I do not know that I ever knew how to spell that, but it's Gil Hooley's. Is whenever I re refer to the restaurant, that's where they're going. And we see Doc on the payphone placing a bet. He is apparently betting $500 on a horse. And Blaster is there just, of course, eating. <laughs> 
So Doc is like, oh, we're all set. $500 on Lady Whoever, uh, which is the name of the horse. And Blaster is like, listen, I don't bet on horses and you shouldn't either. To which Doc says, yeah, well, I shouldn't have gotten married four times, but what can I say? I'm a pushover. Like, real? what? Okay, we're just going to leave that where we found it. <laughs> so at this point, Jessica comes in and she's like, Harry's doing okay. Um, but the ballistics came back. It was Harry's gun, but he said he never had it out of his sight. And Doc is like, oh, that's not looking good for Harry. And, you know, like, why, how is that even possible? Or however he puts it. And Jessica says, yeah, well, it's an ingenious way to frame Harry. But, you know, the fact is, the fight is still scheduled to go. So we're still gonna go. And Doc is like, but uh, Harry's in jail. And Jessica is like, well, I'm the manager of record. So Blaster has a manager. We can go forward. And with your help. And Doc is like, no, I'm a trainer. Like, I don't know. And she's like, and he was like, I, I would feel funny working for a, he met woman. At least he was honest. It doesn't make it right. And Jessica's like, listen, I will pay you well, whether win or lose. And he's like, I don't know about this. He gets up. He's watching the horse race that he bet, betted on and, or bet on. And the horse that he placed the bet on is dead last. Okay. They're alive, but they're last. Okay. <laughs> And so he's like, yeah, um, about that job, I will take it. And can I get paid in advance? Can, can we do that? And Jessica's like, she smiles about it. She's like, all right, I got him on the team. We're about to do this. So the next scene, we're back at the precinct and Jessica is speaking with Harry. And Jessica's like, we're not calling the fight off. And Harry's like, no. We need to, like, I understand that this can smoke out the killer, but then the killer's going to be af go after you. And Jessica's like, what? I'll have Blaster with me at all times. Like, I'll be perfectly safe. I'll be perfectly fine. I'm about to do this. There's nothing you can say to stop me, which is the absolute truth when it comes to Jessica. So the next scene, Jessica's getting dressed and... We hear the TV announcing the fact that Talmadge is dead and that Harry is the suspect and that the fight is still going to go on. And um, they also do a, a background story with regards to Sean, the Shillelagh, Shalene. Okay. <laughs> and long story short, he really didn't even start boxing. Like he had an affinity for it. But he preferred duck hunting. And then he won a championship at 16. And it kind of took off from there. A championship for boxing at 16. And so it took off from there. We then hear the <laughs> TV announcer say that, you know, Blaster has a new manager. And no, it's not some grizzled veteran. It's a sweet and charming lady. A mystery writer. And Jessica's like, oh my gosh, this is... That's so sweet. And he says, who doesn't know a left jab from a right hook? And she's like, okay. And he's like, best of luck, you know. <laughs> Which honestly, yes. But he doesn't know the type of heart and dedication Jessica has. 
So, you know, that was, he was at least respectful about her. You know, he didn't say like some little old lady from Maine or anything like that. He was flattering in his description of her. And he was telling the truth, but he didn't really have to come behind it with like, uh, good luck. Because I don't think that's going to work out because she don't know what she's doing. But it's not about the manager knowing what they're doing, right? Shouldn't it be the trainer? Like, I don't understand why the manager would have any um, sway or placement or position in molding or preparing a boxer to fight. Now, again, I don't know anything about the boxing industry, so maybe that is how it goes. But I would imagine that your manager's duty would be to get you fights and to ensure that you had the best trainer possible so that you could win said fights. But that's just my layman's knowledge of boxing. So I may be wrong. Managers may have, in actuality, much more influence on the preparation of boxers. But uh, yeah, that seems strange to me that her knowledge or lack of knowledge would have anything to do with Blaster's preparedness for this fight. Because remember, Blaster has been fighting for probably double digit years and he used to win a lot of them. So he knows what he needs to do to train. He's going to know whether Doc is appropriate for him for this or if he needs somebody else. So it's he's not a novice. He doesn't need direction or instructions like this because he's been in the game for so long. So her lack of knowledge about how the boxing industry works really should have nothing to do with his actual preparedness for the fight. The only place it would come in would be negotiating a contract because she would not necessarily know what's fair and what's not fair. But Jessica is smart enough to get a lawyer to review any contracts if necessary. Okay, so that's that. Okay. (laughs) Just the nerve of this TV announcer to be all nice and complimentary and then be... Like, well, she don't know nothing, so you ain't going. It's so it's gonna negatively affect you. You can you can miss me with that. Anyway, so the next scene, <laughs> um, Jessica is speaking with Doc, and we find out from him after they there's a training montage. How could I forget? There's a training montage, and Jessica is trying to keep up with Blaster. She is involving herself in the actual training. Which is weird to me because I don't think manager shit like she is encouraging him, but it's a lot of involvement that is confusing to me. So after the training montage, they're sitting at a picnic table and Jessica is just about pooped because she has been fully participating in the training. And so we find out from Doc that there's a lot of people who Talmadge screwed over with this whole build up your career and then uh, take a dive at the end. And one of the names he mentions is Lou Robbie, the Scranton Scrapper. Okay. And he was a middleweight. 
And so Doc says about 15 years ago, he was told to lose a fight. And this being the Scranton Scrapper. Now, thank God I got my braces out many years ago because I would not have been able to say all these S's and SH's. Oh my God. (laughs) They really put it together in this episode. They really did the most. Anyway, so 15 years ago, he there was a big fight. Lou was expecting to win or at least have a really good fight. And a, about two minutes before the fight started, Talmadge and his henchmen went into Lou Robbie's dressing room or fitting room, whatever they call it, green room. And afterwards, the fight starts And Lou Robbie does not defend himself at all. He's just taking punch after punch after punch. And at every break, he is going over to his side of the ring and he is staring daggers at Talmadge, right? By the end of the fight, Lou Robbie was so messed up that he had to be hospitalized for a week. And he was never the same after that. I'm assuming that there was significant brain damage, unfortunately. And he went back to Scranton where he became a janitor and was basically never the same. Like he was real messed up and he was never mentally the same is what I'm assuming uh, after that fight. So the next scene, we're at the newspaper. Dave is having some sort of conniption and Pam gets the brunt of it. Um, I will note that Dave has his is a sports reporter, but has his own office with his name on the door. I'm like, that's that seems like a lot. Like that seems like he has a good job and that he has um, is well respected. So he's not like some cub reporter like he has his own office with his name on the door. Like that's big time like that. He's nothing to be played with, you know. But um, we also find out that Jessica is downstairs in the archives looking um, through the records. So Pam goes down to see what the heck she's looking for. And Jessica has figured out that Lou Robbie is Louis Robinson, the father of Dave Robinson. And clearly the reporting on Talmadge is personal as Jessica had already figured out. So the next scene, Pam and Jessica and Blaster are going for a walk. And we find out from Pam that Dave was 12 years old when his father lost that fight. And as a result, unfortunately, his father was nearly a vegetable, meaning that there was severe brain damage to the point that, you know, he was not at the mental capacity that he was prior to the fight. And, you know, we find out that Pam is in love with Dave, but it's not mutual because like he is so focused on his job and the story specifically, but you know, she assumes that he, well, he hasn't reciprocated and he hasn't indicated that he also loves her, but, um, she's assuming that it's because his focus is work and that he doesn't have time to realize his feelings for her. So we also, (laughs) I'm like, okay, throw that in because why the heck not? It's an hour and a half episode. 
let's have another let's have a love story just woven into it and so well it was clear to see that she definitely had an affection for him and he was definitely focused on getting answers and stuff so we actually saw this she was just putting words to what we saw so we find out from Jessica that she is questioning what Talmadge was found dead in. And I mean, like she refers to Talmadge as a bit of a fashion plate. And Pam says, yes, you mean the preppy look? Like we've tailed him for months. He definitely takes his style into great consideration, you know, um, he grew up, I'm assuming, in the slums or something like that. So he wants to be as far away from uh, that and showing his wealth and sophistication, I guess, by dressing the way he does and taking such care. And so Jessica was like, well, he was found wearing slacks and a plain white shirt. And Pam was like, he wouldn't be quite dead looking like that. And Jessica's like, the problem is he was. So she's like, yeah, let me look into that. But thank you for speaking with me, right? Because she has some idea going on. We then see Lois in a car spying on them. The next scene, we're back at Gil Hooley's with the doc at the bar drinking uh, or reading the newspaper. He, I think he had coffee. He wasn't drinking alcohol. And Dennis, the Shillelagh's manager, comes in he is like, yeah, Blaster's going to lose. He tries to make some threats. Doc is having none of it. He's not trying to take a bribe. He's not feeling threatened. He's over it. He's like, you know what? I'm sick of people like you messing up the boxing industry with all your scams and schemes and scandals. You know, Blaster is going to give a clean and decent non-fixed fight. And that's that on that. So then Dennis gets a call because he doesn't know what to do. Like he doesn't have the backing that Talmadge has. He doesn't have the muscles backing him as Talmadge has or a gun or anything like that. He just thought he could talk his talk and that would be sufficient. Clearly he was wrong. And so on the phone, it's Lois. So apparently Lois and Dennis have a thing going. She loves him, allegedly. So, yeah, she has been telling Jessica, she's like, she's not giving up on this. Like, I'm giving you the heads up. He's like, I, you know, don't even worry about it. I'll deal with it. Mind your business, whatever. So the next scene, Jessica takes a taxi to Talmadge's house because she wants to speak with the housekeeper. Lieutenant Casey is there. He actually had the same idea about what Talmadge was wearing when he was murdered. And he already spoke with the housekeeper and there was a jacket and a cashmere sweater that was missing. And Jessica says, well, he had to be wearing those when he was shot. And that's why they're missing because they have powder burns on them. He didn't have any powder burns on his shirt. So they must have been on one or both of the outer layers he was wearing. And that's why they're missing. And so the lieutenant is like, yes, and we're going to look for them. And we're starting at Harry's place. So the next scene, we're back at the precinct with Jessica and Harry. Harry says that he hung his holster on the hook in his bedroom closet. 
Uh, Jessica suggested perhaps Louise was able to, or Lois, Lois, okay. Lois was able to switch out his gun with another 38. And he says, no, she would never have been able to switch back because I left with my gun. It was confiscated. Like there wasn't an opportunity for her to get access to the gun twice. So we then have Casey come in, Lieutenant Casey, and he finally has some phone records. And he says at 8 a.m., there was a two-minute call to Talmadge's house from Ponzini's office. So Jessica brings up the fact that anyone could have called from Ponzini's phone because the door was unlocked and people were in and out. So maybe she should look around. They don't take her seriously. They may let something slip in front of her that they would not allow to slip in front of Lieutenant Casey. Although Casey was hesitant at first, Jessica says, well, Blaster will be with me at all times, so I'll be fine. And Lieutenant Casey, I guess, agrees or doesn't make any further comment. So the next scene, we're at the gym and Blaster is protecting Jessica and she speaks with Ponzini. There's some back and forth and we find out who all was there at 8 a.m. So, because Ponzini is like, how dare you accuse me? Whatever. So he says there were two fighters from Brockton. There was someone cleaning. There was Doc, who um, was preparing to go out. I forget what his actual alibi was, but he was getting ready to go out to do that. Then Dennis was there and Sean Shalene was there, but they were getting ready to go out to do road work. And so Jessica says, did anyone ask to use the phone in the office? And Ponzini was like, ask? What do you mean ask? People just use stuff around here. The door was open. The phone's available. No one has to ask. And I'm like, don't you got to pay for long distance back in 1987? People need to be asking if they can use that phone. I guess if it's a local, then whatever. But, you know, people take all types of liberties with that. I bet his phone bill was ridiculous, but that's what he get. Oh, well. So then Dennis comes in and he's comes in real hot and he's talking crazy to Jessica and Blaster steps in and he's like, hey, there's no need for that tone of voice. Dennis is like, stay out of this. And is trying to like push past him to get to Jessica because Jessica, you know, like took another step back when blaster stepped in front of her and so then the shillelagh steps in and he grabs blaster's shirt and blaster's like don't do that don't do that and shalene is just feeling himself and he he's like talking crazy and there's there's a tussle then the shillelagh throws a punch that Blaster easily ducks. And then Blaster comes up with a punch, knocking Shalene to the floor in embarrassment. And they're like, you know, like, how could you do that? I'm like, what? Shalene threw that crazy punch first. Like, just because he is trash that you had to fix every fight for, why are you surprised that Blaster 
who is just trying to protect Jessica and himself at this point because you threw a punch at him. Of course, he's going to react as a boxer and throw a punch back. He just happens to be much more skilled than the shillelagh. So anyway, so Blaster is like, oh my gosh, does that mean that the fight is not going to happen? And Jessica's like confused, which is understandable. Like, like what happened? How did we get here? What's happening next? Okay. <laughs> so anyway, the next scene, we're back at the precinct and Lieutenant Casey is interviewing uh, Sean Shaleen and Jessica's there. And so... Shaleen denies using the phone. Lieutenant Casey was like, did anyone else, did you see anyone else use the phone? So Shaleen says that he saw Dennis go into the office to use the phone a number of times to call a woman. And that at some point he comes out of the office and he tells him that being Shaleen, that they're going to skip road work today because he has something to do. And so Shaleen believes that he was going, Dennis, that is, was going to see whatever woman he was trying to contact on the phone. So then they go back to speak with Harry and Harry is like, I don't believe that there's a woman. And Jessica says, yes, I believe there is a woman. And I believe that woman is Lois Ames, which we know is true that he, that Lois contacted him so he was probably trying to contact her. So the next stop is at Lois's apartment building, which has a doorman. They're interviewing the doorman. Well, Jessica's asking questions and Blaster is the muscle. You know, he's standing by quietly, not necessarily intimidating, but you could get that vibe, perhaps. Nothing outwardly obvious, but yeah. So the doorman man says that Lois came in at a quarter to eight and she had been out all night, if you know what I mean. And he said a lot of, you know what I mean? You know what I'm getting at? You, you know what I'm saying? Like, so she's a lady of the night. Fine, whatever. Somebody has to pay for that apartment. Hello, whatever she got to do to pay them bills is her business. As long as it's legal, as long as it's legal. So... Then he says, well, a man came in after her and he gave a description of the person and the person fits Dennis's description. And he says that that person, the both of them stayed in her apartment until 10 a.m. when the man left and then Lois left at 11 a.m. And they never left the apartment between the time the man arrived and the time the man left. So that two hour period of time, they were in the apartment. So the next scene, Jessica goes to see Dave at the paper. She leaves Blaster in the car because thankfully he has a license and he's been driving her around or this would have been some type of situation. So basically Dave is like, oh, you're here about Lou Robbie, my father. You think I have a grudge against Talmadge you think I killed him the only thing I did was kill the story because Pam was right it was eating up at me and you know what I felt I haven't felt this great in a long time after I you know deleted or killed the story and Jessica like says that's great because obsession is really a poison but that's not what I'm here about I'm here about Lois Ames 
And so Dave has all the tea. All right. All the tea. He's like an ex showgirl with a knack for latching onto the main champ. And so Dave is like, but why do you think, do you think that she would kill Talmadge? Like he was her meal ticket. And Jessica says she is the only one with access to Harry's gun and was having an affair with Dennis. To which Dave laughs and says, well, she's never had good taste. You know, <laughs> it's like, well, well, you know what? That's true. That's true because Talmadge was trash, but had a lot of money. Dennis is trash. I don't know if he has a lot of money. So I don't know why she was wasting her time with him. I don't know. Maybe he had other benefits to provide to her that uh, Talmadge did not. I don't know. But apparently they're, they're an item of whatever sort. So Jessica's like, oh, okay, thank you. And she goes to leave and Dave turns back on the football game he was watching. And they talk about a shotgun play in football. I don't know what that is. Y'all who do, great. Um, And it was really like 30 seconds after that was said on the TV that Jessica stops, turns around and says, shotgun. So she has a shotgun epiphany. The next scene, we're at the precinct with Lieutenant Casey and Jessica. And Jessica's like, I believe it was done with a shotgun, but I need your help to prove it. Lieutenant Casey is like, is this the type of help that can cost me my badge? And Jessica's like, possibly if I'm wrong. Yeah, she's not wrong, but okay. And Casey realizes this because he says, you know what? What the heck? I'm nowhere on this. What do you need? And so Jessica says, first, release Harry and let all who are involved know. So the next scene we're at, we're driving up to Ponzini's gym the back door and Harry breaks in with his lock picking tools and they both mention the fact that they were being tailed, which they wanted, right? Which they wanted. And so they go into the office. Jessica asks Harry to um, recreate what happened the day that um, his gun was discharged there. And so they do and Jessica is able to look at the trajectory of where the bullet would have gone and sees the hole in the sofa. Now, the cushion that it went into has been turned around. And so Jessica feels in there, there's no bullet. And so she's like, someone removed the bullet from the sofa. So it would not have been destroyed. It would have had the markings from the barrel, right? And the stamp from the firing pin on the back. So it would be identifiable, but it didn't hit any hard surface where the actual bullet would have been destroyed. So someone removed the bullet, packed it into a shotgun shell and fired it at Talmadge. And because of the amount of powder, gunpowder that would have come out of a shotgun versus a handgun, would have been so significantly different that the shirt and the jacket had to be removed. So whoever did it first had to know that 
the bullet was here. Second, had to have knowledge of shotguns. Third, had to have access to Ponzini's office phone. And fourth, had to have no alibi. So at this point, Sean, the Shalili Shalene, busts up in the door with a shotgun. And it's like, you figured it out. You mean like me, right? So long story short, it was the shillelagh who did it. And he says the reason he did it was because he knew that at some point, he didn't know when because nobody knows when, but at some point, Talmadge was going to demand that he throw a big fight or take a dive or be killed, right? So he knew at some point that threat was going to be made to him. And he just could not bear the thought of not knowing when that was happening and then have to actually throw a fight. Um, And it was worth him murdering Talmadge, which doesn't make sense to me, okay? Now, I can understand if he had said, you know what, I don't want to end up like Lou Robbie, meaning throwing the fight and getting beaten in such a way that I can no longer function at a normal capacity. That is a very valid fear. But saying I don't want to be washed up and own a gym because he he was like, I don't want to end up like Ponzini. But I'm like, what do you mean? Ponzini owns a gym that is full all of the time. And who Talmadge kind of still owes, well, Talmadge is dead, but you know, before he died, would bring all of his fighters there. So he is getting money. So I don't understand how that would be a bad thing. Like, oh, because of your reputation, which I can understand, you know, it's like, oh, you're a loser. You lost that fight or whatever. People don't want to remember the prior 17, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 25 fights that you won, just the big one that you lost. I understand that. But is that really worth murdering someone? I get it. You could not get out of your contract and you knew at some point this was going to happen. But best case scenario, you... Well, actually, he wasn't a good fighter at all because all of his fights were fixed. So you could have just tried your hardest and still lost, but at least you would have got a bag, okay? You would have gotten money, probably a large sum of money for doing this. And... You could cry about your reputations on like a beach in Puerto Rico. Like, are you kidding me? Or you know what? Duck hunting in Minnesota. Nobody would care. You could go back there. You still be a, a, you know, a champion in their eyes. So go back to Minnesota and buy a farm and duck hunt and, and do all of those things that you wanted to do originally before this boxing thing took off. But instead, you decide to murder this man and frame Harry McGraw, which it makes sense why he framed him. Like that, there's no question there. He says it. Harry threatened Talmadge and he pulled a gun that went off. He's like, yeah, so no, this is the perfect person to frame for this, which is understandable. But what's not understandable, why you would murder this man. Like that, that doesn't, you, okay. You could have saved your money, knowing this was going to happen. You could have saved your money and disappeared, okay? You could have disappeared. You could have went, you could have cut your hair, dyed it, 
you know, or whatever, and went back to Minnesota and been like, y'all don't know, my name is Tom Martin, okay, or Mick Martin, if you, if you want to make it spicy, you know what I mean? And just live life. And nobody in Minnesota would have been like, oh, hey, this is him. And Talmadge wasn't going to be trying to go to Minnesota to find you. He would have just found somebody else to to do this. Like, yeah, he put his money into you hoping for this big payout. But he ain't really going to be looking for you like that. You could have disappeared for a number of years, changed your hair color, went back to Minnesota, got married, had a few kids, taught your kids how to duck hunt, whatever. But you decide to... Mer- Listen... That was a stupid reason, okay? Sometimes in these episodes, you're like, I get it. Murder is bad, but I see your reasoning. Here, he had other options. He chose a very dramatic, unnecessary solution. But I will say his decision did save countless other fighters who would not have been as, who were as naive as he was when Talmadge came and sold him a dream. Okay, so he did, he did save countless people who Talmadge could have possibly destroyed. And he vindicated those who Talmadge had already destroyed. Murder's still bad. I'm not on board with this murder in this case, but Talmadge being dead, I'm not mad at. So there's that. Like, but there were other, there were better reasons. Now, if it was Dave Robinson, he was the one who had the best reason to murder Talmadge of everybody. You're telling me that this man, you know, was one of the direct causes because his father didn't fight back at all. So that, you know, he lent into this injury himself a bit, but you destroyed my family. That is a reason to have murdered Talmadge. Like that's who it should have been. Like, I'm sorry. It really should have been Dave Robinson point blank period. He had the best reason. He had the best reason but anyway, so he didn't. It was the Sean, the Shillelagh, Shalene, who did it. Some elaborate packing a shotgun shell with an already spent bullet. And I don't know how that works. I am not familiar with firearms to that degree to know if that's even possible. But okay, that's what we're going with. That's what we're going with. So now we're in the final scene. We're back at, of course, Gil Hooley's with Doc, Blaster, Harry, and Jessica. We find out from Doc that he's going to be partnering with Blaster on the dairy farm. And Harry's like, I give you three months. No, make it two. But like Doc is like, I want to be out of the game. I want to be a gentleman farmer. Blaster has had this dream and this vision for so many years so, you know, I think that he's going to give it his all. And I, I'm, you know what? He's going to be successful. They're going to be successful. It's going to be great because I don't know about Doc, but Blaster definitely deserves the best that life has for him. And so we find out from Jessica 
that Dave and Pam are on their way to get a marriage license at City Hall. So apparently Dave did feel the same way about Pam. And now that his obsession with taking down Wade Talmadge has been resolved because someone murdered Talmadge and he was able to exorcise himself from the hold that this man had over his life with this desire for revenge, now he can see clearly and see that Pam loves him and that he actually loves Pam as well. And so now they're getting married, which I love that for them. Love that for them. And we've also find out that Harry has struck a deal with the television network instead of the fight. He has agreed to give an inside scoop about how he single-handedly solved the murder of the decade or whatever. And Jessica's like, single-handedly? He's like, yes, I embellished, I lied, whatever. Here's your $5,000. I also paid back Benny Falcone. So he's off my back. And we're good to go. Like, I'm back in the black. So that's that on that. The end of a good episode. Again, didn't realize it was an hour and a half. But actually, this review is not longer than a regular review. So there's also that. (laughs) Okay. I appreciate that we did tie up most loose ends by finding out what's happening with everyone. Doc and Blaster are going to go and have a successful dairy farm. Um, Harry McGraw is going to go off to the law and Harry McGraw. Um, Jessica has the rest of this season and mm, nine more to go. (laughs) Dave and Pam are going to get married and have a wonderful family. Um, Talmadge is dead. Ponzini, we don't know, nor do we care. Um, Sean, the shillelagh. Shalene, he's probably going to prison for a very long time. And finally, Dennis and Lois, we don't know, nor do we care what happened with them. So all of the important people, we know what happened with them. And that is great. I am very well satisfied with the ending of this episode, although Dave Robinson should have been the murderer because that would have made so much more sense. But anyway, in recognition of Christmas and New Year's, I will be taking two weeks off from the podcast. I know it's terrible. I didn't do it last year, but I promised myself I would do it this year. So I will be back with Simon Says Color Me Dead on January 9th, 2022. Can you believe it? We have almost made it. So until then, you can find me on Instagram at the Fletcher Files Pod on Instagram, on Facebook or Meta, again, whatever the heck the name of it is these days, at the Fletcher Files Pod page. And of course, you can find me on Patreon. If you're not a member, get into it, okay? Because if I am able to find The Law and Harry McGraw, I will be doing reviews of those on Patreon. Yes, and I'm probably going to do them as a watch along, so mm, even better. But get into it. So, (laughs) 
And that's, of course, the Fletcher Files pod on Patreon. But until then, for those of you who celebrate Christmas, Merry Christmas. And of course, Happy New Year to everybody. I will see you in 2022. And all I ask is that while we are away from each other, that you have an amazing holiday season and new year. I'll see you in 2022. Bye.